Mark chapter 7. The last little story that uh, definitely connects to the story that um, we looked at last week uh, with uh, the healing of the lady there. And uh, now we have a, another healing. And just to remind you, uh, again, Mark's whole purpose uh, was to proclaim uh, that Jesus Christ is God. Uh, he was, uh, that, if you look at the nature of what uh, Mark records and compare it, say, to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, or Matthew, Luke, and John, uh, you'll see that uh, the other three uh, have some stories and details that Mark doesn't include uh, because they just didn't fit what he was trying to do. Uh, he was mainly writing to a Roman audience, uh, not a Jewish audience, and was uh, writing to those, again, the Romans who had all kinds of uh, gods, you probably remember some of your uh, mythology lessons in school, uh, and the Romans had all kinds of gods that they worshipped. They had a whole, uh, they had a K&W buffet line of gods. Whenever they, uh, if they needed this, they'd pray over here. If he didn't answer, they'd pray over there, and uh, they'd just pick a god. Uh, they had, like they had somebody standing out of the church, at the Roman church, saying, serve you a god, uh, and they just picked one. Uh, but uh, Mark was trying to convince them that, uh, that Jesus was the one and only God by showing uh, his uh, marvelous works is what, uh, again, you, you'll notice that if you look closely, uh, if you would read Mark, you can read Mark in one setting, 16 short chapters, uh, you'll see that he has moved from great event to great event, just demonstrating the power of God. And this is one uh, that I'll admit um, I struggled a little bit, exactly Again, I know the general reason why Mark uh, gave us this story, but I struggled uh, probably as much as I have in a while uh, trying to, to really uh, pick out the, the, the main reason why Mark told us this story. Uh, and to be honest with you, it's a weird one. Uh, and uh, I'd like to clean that up. You probably don't want your preacher to tell you it's a weird one, but it's a weird one. We'll see in a minute. Uh, it's strange. Uh, exactly what Jesus does here as he interacts with uh, this man who is deaf. Uh, and uh, so we'll uh, look at that and uh, hopefully we can uh, make some sense of this story and uh, we'll learn a little something as Jesus helps this, uh, this hurting man. Uh, as uh, we start into it, uh, the first thing we've got to deal with uh, is the man's condition. We've got to talk for a moment uh, about exactly what was going on uh, with this man. Before we get to what Jesus does, before we get to the results, uh, we need to uh, talk for just a moment about uh, the situation with uh, this man. The Bible tells us in uh, verse 32, uh, says they, let me back up, verse 31 uh, tells us something that uh, is important, uh, but we just really don't know why it's important. Uh, Jesus, uh, if, if uh, Jesus did the equivalent uh, of if we left here uh, going to Charlotte and went through Salisbury to get there. Uh, as he traveled, uh, he goes kind of in a horseshoe uh, and takes the long way around. Uh, what we don't know uh, is what all happened in that extra uh, little journey. He took uh, what was probably about a 20-mile journey and made it into about a 120-mile journey. Uh, and uh, I, I'm pretty sure uh, that there were some interesting things that took place there uh, that we don't have recorded in Scripture. Uh, but he eventually arrives 
uh, at his uh, target here. And when he gets there, uh, we see that the Bible tells us they, being uh, some friends, much like we see uh, several stories in the Bible, the friends who uh, brought the man to Jesus and dropped him down through the roof, we see several occasions where friends uh, bring someone uh, to meet Jesus. It says they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. We all, I think, uh, understand uh, something about uh, what was going on here. We have uh, interacted with people over uh, our lifetime who had uh, perhaps a similar situation, that uh, they had hearing problems that then uh, translated into speech problems as well. Uh, I don't know all the ins and outs and don't claim to, uh, but uh, the, the medical uh, folks and the audiologists tell us, uh, again, especially as someone who's been uh, deaf since an early age, that by not hearing language, they often then have a difficult time speaking as well. Uh, and so this man is uh, in that uh, condition. His, uh, and this was uh, a, a horrible uh, handicap. Uh, it would be today, it especially was uh, in those days. We uh, today, we uh, again. I, I don't want to minimize it by any uh, stretch of the imagination, uh, especially considering I don't hear well. Uh, but um, uh, we know uh, common sense uh, tells us that we have made advances. We have uh, hearing devices. We have surgery. We develop sign language. Uh, we have uh, abilities and things to help someone uh, who might find himself in this condition. This man uh, was cut off from society. This man uh, was uh, separated. He was uh, in his uh, own world. They were uh, they were considered a, uh, people like this were considered to be. Uh, in a uh, special uh, special class of people. Uh, we, uh, uh, most of us, I think, uh, probably kind of relate uh, deafness to blindness. And, and again, I don't want to minimize either. I, I don't want to have either. Uh, but uh, people who have uh, suffered with it, medical people, uh, have, as I have studied uh, and read about this, say that, uh, in, in, again, especially in their day, uh, that deafness uh, was worse, uh, or was worse than blindness because of the stigma that was uh, associated with uh, the deafness. And uh, again, uh, I don't know that uh, if we haven't been there. I can't identify with it, uh, but just again, going on what I have uh, studied and read about it, that uh, that uh, deafness was uh, or is worse uh, than blindness. And uh, as I thought about what I read about the two, uh, I, I understand where they're coming from. Uh, most of the time, uh, and part of the reason they say that uh, is because most of the time, someone who is blind, it is obvious what is wrong. Uh, it is obvious. You can uh, tell by looking at their eyes. You can tell, uh, again, whether it's the, the dog or, or their, uh, their walking stick, or uh, you can just tell uh, that there's something wrong. Uh, and still, even when they are blind, you can ask them a question and they can respond. They can hear what you're saying. They can tell you what the problem is. Uh, the reason that 
some, and uh, again, I, I don't know, and I don't want to minimize either, uh, but that the reason that, uh, that uh, many say that deafness is worse is because it's not typically visible. Uh, you, know, you, can be, you can be talking to someone uh, who is deaf, and they don't know it. You can be hollering at them. You can be calling their name, and they don't know it. They just continue to walk. Uh, and so there's uh, kind of a stigma associated with people. Uh, they, they think that uh, many times think that those who cannot hear uh, perhaps are that there's something mentally wrong with them uh, because many times it is connected to uh, a speech impediment as well. And so uh, again, I don't want to. I don't want either, and I pray nobody here. Uh, I'm just telling you what I have read and, and studied as, as looking at this passage. That uh, generally, uh, this idea uh, of, uh, of deafness is considered to be a uh, the, the social pain, the stigma uh, of, of deafness seems to be uh, looked at. Uh, worse. And, uh, and again, you, you always had to throw in, uh, in their day especially, and probably to some extent even today, uh, that anybody who had something like this was, that was wrong, uh, the idea was, uh, you know, what have you done, what sin have you committed to have this come on you, uh, what have you done, what did your parents do, uh, you know, what, what, you know, why are you that way, not, you know, you, you, you had some kind of uh, issue at birth or whatever, but generally, uh, if you, you know, definitely or blindness. It was uh, what sin uh, have you committed? And in this case, again, not only that, this man to add to not being able to hear what was being said to him, he couldn't ask questions. He, he couldn't talk either. He had uh, a, a speech impediment. And, and, and probably to make it worse, uh, it, it, the, the words that are used there and the way it's described does not appear, you, you know there are other cases where the Bible might mention and say, this man was lame from birth. Uh, this doesn't say he's been deaf from birth. This appears to be something that has developed in his lifetime. So he knows uh, what he used to hear, and now uh, he, he can't hear. Uh, and, and most likely, because he couldn't hear, because he couldn't speak, he probably couldn't read, this man was isolated and cut off from society. Uh, and uh, the, the truth of Scripture, ultimately, this man couldn't go into the temple uh, and, and hear uh, the Word. He couldn't hear about the Messiah. He couldn't uh, participate uh, at, uh, at the temple. He was just, again, he was cut off completely uh, from society. And as I said, there were probably a lot of folks who looked and said, well, as much as they did with Jonah when his, when his good friends uh, came around him and, and asked him, you know, what did you do wrong? How come you got to, why is God doing this to you? Uh, and so there were those who looked at this man and, and believed that he perhaps was uh, a sinner or, or demon-possessed, uh, to say the very least. Uh, my point is this. This man's situation was pretty much helpless and hopeless. This man, especially in those days, was pretty well cut off from all of society. Very unlikely to be able to have any real form of, uh, of labor to, to, to earn an income. Very unlikely that he, that there's a very good chance that his own family had 
kind of shunned him off because of his situation. Very good opportunity, very good chance that his neighbors, he obviously had some friends, uh, but very good chance this man was pretty well ostracized from all elements of society because of his condition. He was in all likelihood uh, done this. And, and the Bible here uh, gives us this story. Uh, Mark kind of weaves in here as I, as I look for why exactly was Mark giving us this story. Uh, again, it's a unique story. We're going to get into the real unique part in just a minute. Uh, why was Mark giving us this picture? And as I looked at that and thought about that, and the more I, I prayed and I labored over this, the, the, the answer that I came to, and, and some may disagree, some scholars may disagree, some do agree, uh, and, and, but generally if you, if you do much study on this passage, most people just kind of, uh, you'll find a very short commentary because this passage is, uh, again, a little bit um, difficult to, uh, to see all the, the ins and outs. But here's what I, as I thought about this, this man is a perfect picture of someone outside of Jesus Christ. This man is a perfect picture of someone who doesn't know Christ. They're cut off. They're separated. They're spiritually deaf. They're unable to communicate. Bible tells us in the book of Psalms, if I regard iniquity in my heart, he will not hear me. They're unable to communicate. We're often guilty in the church as believers of telling people, oh, you just need to pray about it. There's only one problem with that statement. If they're not a believer, if they're not a child of God, the only prayer God hears from that person is a cry for salvation. This man represents Someone without Christ. Someone outside of Jesus. Someone who is cut off from all that is good and all that is right. This man was helpless. This man was hopeless. Think about it. It's an ideal, it's a perfect picture of someone who is outside of Christ. This man was outside of society. This man was outside uh, of the network uh, of everything good that was going on. He didn't go to the concerts in the park. He didn't go to the, uh, to, to the church services and hear the preacher. He was isolated and cut off. And, and the picture I want you to gather this morning is I want you to understand, and, and the church so desperately needs to understand this in our day and age, we need to understand and recognize this truth. Our lost friends are not good people just kind of misguided. They are lost. Without Jesus Christ. They're separated from God. I've been to funeral after funeral where God bless them for trying, but some poor misguided preacher gets up and tries to preach that lost man into heaven. You been to those funerals? I hope you hadn't been to one I did that you'd say that about. I've been, I told you before, I've been in funerals where the preacher get up and say so, so many glowing, wonderful words. I want to get up and go open the box and make sure I'm at the right funeral. Listen, someone outside of Christ is this man. Now, I'm not commenting on his spiritual condition. I'm commenting on the representation. 
This man is a representative of our friends and loved ones who don't know Christ. I'm sure he was a good man. The Bible doesn't say he ever robbed the liquor store. The Bible doesn't say he bounced bad checks all over town. The Bible says he was helpless and hopeless. I've got good friends. You've got good friends. I've got family. You've got family who are good people. I know some folks who are better people just on the moral side of things than many people who claim to be Christian. Let me tell you what happens to good people that don't know Jesus. They die lost and they spend an eternity in hell. And you and I, if you are a believer, can I beg you, challenge you, encourage you, and I know this is hard, but to start looking and at your friends and your loved ones and your family and quit trying to say, oh, he's a good guy if you just know him. He probably is. He would probably give me the shirt off his back. He would probably come help me change a flat tire beside the road. He would probably let me stay in his house if I was homeless. But he doesn't know Jesus. Can I get real, get in there and grind on that a minute? Folks, we need to look at our own family, our own children, grandchildren, brothers, sisters, fathers, fathers. And they may have gave you life. Maybe your children who will choose your rest home. And you want to think the best of them. And I hope they're good people. I hope they're honest. I hope they work. I hope they're good to their spouse. I hope they're good to their children. But if they don't know Christ, friends, they are lost. And they need Jesus. There's no way to slice it. You can't clean that up. You can't make, listen, it is what it is. This man, there's no indication he was anything other than a good man. But his condition made him helpless and hopeless. There are a lot of good people, family, friends, co-workers, who are helpless and hopeless because they are spiritually blind and deaf they do not know Christ. Which brings us to the second point in this story. Look what happens. You have the man's condition, but then look what uh, you see. His friends didn't just say, well, like, like a lot of times we do things. You know how we often do. Uh, we often look and say, somebody ought to do something. Somebody ought to do something. Kevin and Jackie sitting over here. They, they, they worked in grocery stores. Kevin's like, Kevin's older than food line. He goes back to food time. Yeah, that's how long he's been there. Yeah. And I'll guarantee you, both of them have watched, and if you've paid attention, you've seen this. I, I, I saw it 
delivering bread. I saw it happen on numerous occasions. Somebody would come in the front door of the store, and that mat leg there, it'll get kicked over. It'll be rolled up. And people will walk in the store, tell them to lie down. It happens all the time, doesn't it? They'll walk in the store, look back at it, and keep walking. Won't even take the time to kick it over. All right, listen, nine times out of ten, you don't have to get down there and straighten it up. They're not asking you to sweep it. Just give it a good kick. It'll flop back down where it goes. Somebody else will get it. Somebody else will do it. Somebody ought to do something. I wouldn't even be surprised, Kevin. Jackie both probably tell us there have been times in, in, in their career where somebody came to them and said, hey, that rug slipped over. You need to go fix it. Wouldn't kick it over on their own. Notice what this passage says. They bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they beseech him. I said last week, we don't use that word besought, beseech very often. We've used it twice here in about three verses. They beg him to put his hand on it. They beg him to put his hand on it. Listen to what happened. We've described this man's condition. He is helpless and he is hopeless. You understand that this man in his condition, in all likelihood, didn't even know Jesus was in town? This man, in all likelihood, did not even know that healing was right over there. He'd never heard about Jesus. He'd never heard about his miracles. He hadn't heard that Jesus was in town. This man, in his condition, didn't even know that help was available. As far as he knew, he would be deaf till the day he died. He had no comprehension that help was available, that help was just right over there. He didn't even know Jesus was in town, in all likelihood. Perhaps he did. But it's, it's highly unlikely. How would he know? Even if you say, well, he would have seen him. Okay. He wouldn't know him. Never heard about him. This man is helpless and hopeless with hope and help just outside his front door. The only chance this man had for a future, the only man this chance, a chance this man had was for they, and I always get nervous when people start talking about they, yeah, if, if, you, if you don't know one of the things that pastors hear on a regular basis is they are saved. And if you've ever come to me and said they are saved or they won't, the first question you got back was, well, they, who is that? You and who else? They make me nervous. But in this case, they did a good thing. They took a man who was helpless and hopeless and brought him and connected him to the greatest help and the greatest hope ever to walk. This man didn't know help was available. He didn't know help was there. We, we, again, he, he, we, the Greek word here, uh, uh, again, it, it, that, that is used there, again, is they, they came and they begged Jesus to help. They begged Jesus to do something. They begged him. 
to, to, to this man, even if he would have known Jesus was there somehow, he couldn't talk. And so he couldn't even go to Jesus and say, Jesus, can you help me? Are you, are you tracking with me this morning? You understand the condition of your lost loved ones and your lost friends? All of us on occasion have thought to ourselves how if you're a believer, you are not like I can imagine that anybody hasn't sometime had this some form of this thought. As sweet as it is to be saved. As wonderful as it is to be a child of God. I can't imagine why anybody wouldn't want to be saved. You ever thought that? I just can't imagine why anybody wouldn't want to know Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Your spouse, you like him? Don't answer that. But do you remember a day you didn't like him? Why didn't you like him? Because you didn't know it. You hadn't been introduced. You hadn't crossed paths. It wasn't that they wasn't a good person then. You just didn't know it. Folks, we have to understand, especially in 2023, in the world we live in, we live... I'm reading a great book right now. Let me recommend it highly to you. Again, I don't get commission for the books I read or recommend. I wish I did. Um, maybe I could pay for some of the ones I got. It's called Evangelism in Exile. And the whole point of the book is talking about the fact that as believers, we're in a foreign world. We're living in a different world than many of you in here grew up in. We are living in what is called a post, what the, 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 those who study such things, they call what we live in a post-Christian society. Post, you remember your English words? That means after. We don't live in a Christian society anymore. We live in a post. We used to, most of us grew up in a Christian society, but we've been grown out of it. We live in a world that's not Christian anymore. We live in a world where Christian morals and Christian ethics and Christian beliefs, Christian systems are not the normal and are not accepted. We live in a world where you have to decide whether or not you are a boy or a girl. You have to, we live in that kind of world. You and I need to understand that our friends and loved ones, it, most of them, it's not that they just simply say, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. Now, I know there's some like that. Don't get me wrong. Most of our friends, our family, our co-workers are not shaking their fist in the hand of God saying, I don't want anything to do with God. Go away, God. I don't believe in that. Just get away from me. Most of them, to be honest, and, and it may be hard for you to accept because you've heard it most of your life. But many of them are like this deaf man. They've never heard. I 
know some of you are saying, that's not what, yes it is. I told you about our insurance man knocking on doors and asking someone, do you know Jesus? And the lady stood there and looked at him for a moment. He said, I believe he lives down the street there. You see the compassion of his friends. They didn't look at him and criticize him because he was deaf, wonder why he was deaf, wonder why he didn't do something about being deaf. They took the man to get his deafness dealt with. We need to quit looking at people, trying to understand why they reject Christ, why they're not a Christian, why they don't want anything to do with Jesus, why they don't want anything to do with salvation. Quit worrying about it. That doesn't matter. If I could tell you today, this is why Joe Blow doesn't accept Christ. Would that make you happy? Would that change his condition one bit? Doesn't matter why this man was dead. Doesn't matter whether it was sin or demon possession. Doesn't matter if he was playing with pencils in kindergarten and jabbed them into his eardrums. Doesn't matter. This man can't hear and he needs to be healed. Our lost loved ones and friends, I don't know why they're lost. I don't know why they choose to stay lost. I can't answer for that. But what we do have to answer for is whether or not we've been compassionate enough to take them and tell them about Jesus. Then you see the Savior's conduct. It's just our job to get them to Jesus. It's just that they got him to Jesus. And then Jesus, it's a unique story that Jesus takes him aside. Now to my knowledge, it's the only place where we see something like that happen. I don't know, is Jesus being compassionate to the man? He's already been embarrassed enough. Did he just not want to stir up a great big crowd? He didn't want to be a, didn't want healing to be a sideshow. But he takes the man aside. And he puts his fingers in his ear. And I will tell you that the Greek word that is used there for put his fingers in his ears is jam his fingers in his ears. Mm. Jammed them in his ears. It gets worse. He spit and touched his tongue. Yeah. It is what it is. Pooey and laid his hand on his tongue. I see some of you sitting here going, I'd just soon not be able to talk. I know some of you are germaphobes. Some of you are thinking, I'd just soon just stick your fingers in my ears and we'll leave the speech for later. But he spits on his hand and he touches his hand, touches his tongue. He looks up to heaven and sighs and he says unto him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain, and he charged them, and no one should tell, they should tell no man, but the more he charged them so much, the more a great deal they published. Look at the healing. I want you to understand a couple of things about what happened here. Oh, Jesus was the healer. Man's helpless and hopeless. His friends bring him to Jesus. 
But can I point out something to you? This man had to cooperate in his healing. If I walked up to you and I started towards your noggin like this, you'd probably jump back, wouldn't you? Swap my hand, something. That'd probably get your attention. Of course, now, most of you in here old enough to know about Webb Willie's been in the year. I'd rather do that and stick it on my tongue, but that's a different story for a different day. But, not only that, please, stick out your tongue. Do you see something important in this story? This man had to cooperate. His friends brought him there he had to make a choice. He had to make a decision. He had to stand there and let Jesus, again the word, jam his fingers in his ears. He had to open up his mouth. I don't know about you, but even if he had not spit on his hand, I'd have been a little antsy. They saw him with uh, whatever that thing is, stethoscope, and, and 
Yeah. I grew up, I'm still looking for him. The doctor I grew up with, I, I love him to death, uh, I, I delivered me, took care of me, uh, and, and if he was still living and he saw me today, I'm two foot taller than him, outweighing by 150 pounds, he'd say, how you doing, baby boy, Jim? And I just look at him like, doc. But I'm still looking for one. He'd put that stethoscope on you and he'd say, say 99. 99, 99, 99. I need a doctor. I've asked my doctor, would you just do that and make me happy? Just let me say 99. Can you imagine somebody from their day coming forward and going into a doctor's office today? They'd think we lost our ever-loving mind. Here, let me give you a shot. You lost your mind. Yeah. Think about it. It may seem weird to us, but remember the difference in the time. Look what Jesus does here. We see in this passage several things that Jesus does. As you look at it, first of all, you see the sign. Mark says Jesus breathed a deep sigh. There's a lot of question about why Jesus put that sigh meant. You know what I tend to believe? The Bible doesn't tell us, so I'm just, you preach next week, you can tell us what you think the sign means, but this week it's my time. I believe the sign was Jesus' broken heart over the condition of this man. I believe Jesus was groaning in his soul, in his spirit, at this man. And the effect of, listen, I'm not saying the man was a sinner, but I am saying that the deafness and the speech impediment was ultimately the effect of sin, of sin, of downfall of man all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And Jesus was brokenhearted, I believe, and groaned at this man's condition. I tell you something this morning. Jesus, I believe, still today, is groaning over the condition of lost man. I know he cares because he cared enough to go to the cross. We see this sign. Again, I can't tell you 100% sure that that's why he did it. But I believe he was just simply disturbed and distressed at what he saw. Then the touch. I, I, listen, I'll admit with anybody, it was an odd thing. That's strange. By our standards, anyway, it's strange. Listen, I want to remind you of something. Our Jesus, our Savior, bless him, never stepped back, never recalled from touching the lives of people. Even the leper. The blind, the deaf, didn't matter. The world said they were unclean. The Jews wouldn't get near them with a ten-foot pole. Jesus went and sat down and dined with the Pharisees and the scribes. Oh, if his church, if his people would only have a little bit more of that attitude towards the lost and the dying and the hurting. You see his touch. You see the word. 
Heaven. Be opened. Be opened. I'm, I don't know who your imagination is, how your ability to envision things are. But will you humor me for a moment? I can see Jesus and that man standing there. And those words, almost like you might see God through in a cartoon, be open. Those words coming out of Jesus' mouth. And simultaneously going in those ears, into that brain. And I can see that brain. Fire. Can you see it? Can you see those hammer and anvil in the ears, eardrums? Maybe the ear, seeing those eardrums come back together and be whole? Can you see that tongue? The Bible says the string was taken off. I can see the tongue tangled up and, and twisted up and all of it just lays down at the simple word that follows be opened the word the word from Jesus mouth did what all of medical science to this day cannot do The word of Jesus Christ can cleanse and clean the vilest sinner. Wash him and make him white as snow. The Bible says our own righteousness is filthy as dirty rags. At my very best, I'm filthy. Simple word of the Savior washes me white as snow. He can do the same for you. He can do the same for your friend. He can do the same for your loved one. Something that all of Christianity, all of religion, all of the churches in the world cannot do, Jesus Christ can do with the word. what the Bible tells us then in verse 37. And we're beyond measure. The crowd is confession. Look what they say about Jesus. The crowd's confession, they were beyond measure. They were out of their minds is what it says. They were beyond measure astonished. You couldn't even measure the astonishment in these people's face. See, I have this picture. The Bible says that Jesus took him aside. Now, I don't know what aside means, but again, humor me in my imagination. 
I imagine Jesus taking him around the corner of the building, out of the sight of the crowd, pop, pop, and sending him back. And when he came back around the corner, shout, listen, I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us, but I just got to believe, you just leave my imagination alone, don't mess with me, I'm happy believing what I believe. I believe this man came running back around the corner, shouting to the top of his lungs, are those birds I hear? People, their astonishment couldn't be measured. And look what they say. He hath done all things well. He hath done all things well. Hear me this morning. This crowd, this multitude of people who had gathered, Probably everybody in the village by now has gathered. They had no idea what they were coming to see. Many of them, probably like ambulance chasers today, didn't have any idea what the wreck was about. They just wanted to see. Saw the crowd gathered, they went and gathered. And then they recognized this man who they've known all their life come running around the corner shouting, probably couldn't shut him up. could measure their astonishment. And to a man, they say, he has done all things well. Humor me a little more. When that man came back around the corner, shouting at the top of his lungs, going, somebody say something. I just want to try out my new ears. They had to do one or two things. And we've seen both of There were times, and we've talked about them as we journeyed through the Gospel of Mark, when Jesus healed, when Jesus did great miracles, and the audience there said what? He does this by the power of Beelzebub. That was an option they had. I suppose they could have said, it's a fluke. He was never really deaf to start with, but they all knew better than that. They know him his whole life. Or they could say, this man, he does all things well. The evidence demands a verdict. Everyone there had to decide at that moment what they were going to do with Jesus Christ. They had to decide at that moment he's God or he's a liar. They had to choose. He's God or he's a faker. They knew there was no way that anything else could help this man in the condition he was in. He either does all things well, or he's the biggest con man to ever live. 
have to make a decision about Jesus Christ. He either does all things well or he doesn't. You hear this morning, and you say, well, I'm a believer. I know Jesus Christ personally. Great. Well, then you'd have to agree that he does all things well. Well, if he does all things well, then why aren't we taking our helpless and hopeless friends to see Jesus? If he does all things well, why aren't we introducing our children, our friends, our loved ones to him? We'll tell somebody about a new restaurant that gave us good food and good service. We'll tell somebody about a good doctor. We'll tell somebody about a good car dealer. Will we tell them about somebody who does all things well? Ought to be a friend like these friends. Take our helpless and hopeless friends to the feet of Jesus. You're sitting here this morning and God's laid somebody in your heart. He's put their face right in front of you. And you know, or you, at least as far as you know, they don't know Jesus Christ. Can I ask you, what have you done to get them to Jesus? But more importantly this morning, you're sitting here and you're like the deaf man. You came in this building, you joined us online, and you're helpless and hopeless. You don't know Jesus Christ. If you die today, you're going to die lost. You know you're far from God. I did my very best this morning. I don't know what else I could do but get down on my hands and knees and beg to introduce you to Jesus, the one who does all things well. The one who died on a cross shed his blood so you can be saved. Now you've got to make a decision. What will you do? Are you like this, this man? Will you open up your mouth? Will you open up your ears? Will you allow Jesus to come in and do his work? Can you imagine how sad a story this would be, knowing what we know? That they, these friends brought this young man to Jesus. And when Jesus reached up to touch his ears, he put his hands over his ears. Jesus reached for his mouth like a child of the dentist. Knowing what we know, wouldn't that be a terrible, terrible story? Will you allow Jesus Come in. You ask him into your heart today. He does all things well. There are people sitting all over this room who know Jesus Christ personally. And I'm going to go out, and this isn't playing. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say, is there anybody in this room who would raise your hand and say, I regret. I'm sorry I ever asked Jesus Christ into my life. For those of you online, not a hand in the room went up. I've never met anybody who said I was regret today. 
He does all things well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning. Father, I thank you this morning for allowing us to be here to see this man. God, I pray now that you throw my words by the wayside. And just like with this man, your word would penetrate hearts. God, there are believers here who need to get a little compassion. Who have friends, family, loved ones, maybe even children, grandchildren, who don't go to Christ. God, grip our hearts. We'll have compassion and give them Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. God, for the one that's here today and wants to join us online, they're like this man. God, they're hopeless, they're helpless, they're lost. God, would you convict their heart the day they need a day of salvation? We do all things well. Which in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we stand together. Next Sunday afternoon at 5 o'clock, 
uh, we will have our uh, annual Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, everybody uh, is welcome. Bring a friend. Uh, bring a Jesus. Uh, we can uh, in here so we can uh, meet him and talk to him. And uh, we'll see that uh, all Christians are not hard. Uh, so uh, we'll do that next, uh, next Sunday afternoon at 5. Uh, we're going to provide uh, the turkey. Uh, if you want anything else, uh, we have, I told somebody right there, we have had venison. Have you done it this year? No. Huh? <laughs> hey, I'll tell you what, if you want some, there's about four up down 85. Uh, <laughs> they're everywhere up down 85. Uh, you can go that all you want. Uh, but um, remember that uh, next Sunday afternoon. All right, let's pray in this year today. Father, we thank you today for giving us all. Thank you for allowing us to gather here this morning. Go with us as we leave here. Uh, take your word and apply uh, to our hearts. Change us. Uh, Mold us into the people you have us to do. Uh, we'll be like these friends. Uh, 